Funding for this podcast comes from MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink software, accelerating the pace of engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. Right now, it's Taylor Swift mania in Glendale. The Beyonce takeover is in formation. Tens of thousands of concert goers poured into AT&T Stadium in Arlington for her DFW stop. I went all out for Beyonce, of course, Queen B. Scale of 1 to 10, how much of a uh, super fan are you for Taylor Swift? 13,000. This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Right now, there are two women who need no introduction, not even their last names, Taylor and Beyonce. Together, their concert tours generated a massive $10 billion of economic activity in and for U.S. cities this year. Money is no object for Swifties and members of the Beehive. The collective joy of the concerts is worth spending big for them on plane tickets, hotel rooms, restaurants, t-shirts and posters, and of course, bedazzled cowboy hats and friendship bracelet beads. This is all Amazon couture. I got the LA poster that's specific to LA. So since Beyonce personally requested me to wear chrome and silver, no, I'm kidding. Uh, she requested silver for her birthday and Virgo season. Let's go shopping together to get supplies to make friendship bracelets for the Aero store. I'm drunk in the back of the car and I cried like a baby coming home from the bar. I made this outfit like you said, period. These are my friends I just made. They got the energy, honey. We did pay a good thousand dollars to sit um, floor seats, and like I said, she was in town, so it was easier, but I would have traveled to see her. All the money's worth it. In other words, it's a Taylor Swift and Beyonce economy, and we're just living in it. Why and how have these two women become some of the biggest non-governmental stimulus forces in the United States? Well, Misty Haganis joins us. She's an associate professor in the School of Public Affairs and Administration at the University of Kansas. She's also working on a book slated to come out in 2025. It's called Swiftynomics, Women in Today's Economy. Misty, welcome to On Point. Magna, I'm so excited to be here talking to you about this. Why? Why are you so excited? Well, you know, I just think that during the pandemic, a lot of us went through a lot of hard times and we're all just out here right now looking for joy. And Taylor and Beyonce are more than happy to give it to us. Oh, have you been to a concert? <gasps> yes, both. Both? Oh, yes, of course. And you're, I, in, when, and you're in Kansas, right? Were they both in Kansas? Yeah. So I went to the Kansas, the first night Kansas City tour for Taylor Swift. And I also went to Beyonce's concert, which was her last um, U.S. Um, concert. Okay. So let's go through some of the numbers a bit before we dig into sort of the hows and whys uh, that this conversation is going to be about. First of all, regarding Taylor Swift, the era's tour is not over yet, but already this year, uh, she's uh, the concerts have grossed, just the concerts themselves, over a billion dollars. That makes hers the most successful concert tour in history, right? Yeah, of all time, Guinness Book of World Records. Okay, and so Taylor and Swift and Beyonce. Beyonce is the next one on that list. Number three is Bruce Springsteen, <laughs> right? So, so c- give us a sense in of uh, comparison in terms of how large the Taylor Swift and Beyonce tours are in comparison. Sorry, I said that twice, but to other other uh, uh, really popular, really successful tours of the past. 
Yeah. So um, I'll give you an example, or I'll just talk about it within maybe a little bit of a different context. Okay. But if you think about, you know, this past Super Bowl um, that we had in 2023 was in Glendale. Uh, Taylor Swift started her tour in Glendale, Arizona. And, um, you know, these concerts are stadium concerts and they all get sold out. And so you can think about one concert being kind of the equivalent of a Super Bowl event in, in terms of, you know, the generating of, of um, you know, revenue within local economies, et cetera. And, you know, Taylor is doing two or three of these concerts in one location at a time. In L.A., she did six. So just in terms of magnitude, you know, we often think that the Super Bowl is like this huge U.S. event. And here you have a megastar who is replicating that, you know, essentially exponentially. Um, Every you know. weekend, practically. Exactly. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. I'm seeing that on average, more than 72,000 people are at every Taylor Swift show. Yeah. I mean, you know. Just okay. packing the stadiums. Okay. Well, and then so let's talk a, a little bit uh, about Beyonce. To be to be honest, uh, her uh, concert grossing is not at the billion dollar level, but she is the, still the second highest um, uh, grossing artist of the year. Yeah. Uh, and and we're seeing the same sort of surge in um, in in people going to those concerts, selling out, spending money with with the Beyonce tour, right? Yeah, definitely. So the way I like to think about the Beyonce tour is, you know, so Beyonce started her tour in Sweden and essentially, uh, you know, the economists over there um, kind of claim that she is one of the reasons um, that there was increased inflation <laughs> last May. You know, it went up 0.3% uh, from April to May. And most of that was due to this unusually um, high uh, demand for hotels and other types of um, services and tourism. So, you know, Beyonce started out with a bang. And, you know, here in the U.S., she's been going around uh, city to city touring. And you're seeing, you know, people are calling it a Beyonce effect. Uh, clothes, you know, retail stores are selling out. Um, you know, in Chicago, um, there was this increase of anywhere between 5 to 20% in hotel and travel, shopping, restaurants, beauty services. So you really do see fans um, of these megastars really coming out and, you know, whipping out their purses and wallets. <laughs> you know, they are there for the full experience and they're willing to pay for it. Wow. Okay. Now, you said that Beyonce's uh, Renaissance Tour has wrapped up. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to double check on that because Taylor Swift's Eras tour is still going on. And I'm just saying that it could, the tour itself could gross another billion dollars before it's over here in the United States, almost the same amount worldwide. So she come out, could come out the other end as having a tour that grows $4 billion, if not more, for the tour itself. So obviously, yeah. those two women are wildly financially successful. But really, we want to talk about what you had just um, hinted at earlier, and that's the economic impact uh, at the cities that they are gifting their fans with visits uh, for. So, I mean, do you have any information about uh, the effect, let's say, Taylor Swift has had in Kansas? Yeah, so, I mean, the estimated, you know, so Kansas City estimates it's about $47.8 million of direct economic impact because of the Eras tour. Wait, say that number again? $47.8 million. Wow, just for in Kansas City? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and how does that compare to other kinds of stimulus or rate the regular revenue that the city can, generates from normal city operations? Well, uh, it, this <laughs> is a lot more. Um, you know, and, and it's not just Kansas City. You know, Cincinnati, um, you know, estimated that just in terms of, um, you know, hotel benefits, there was like $7.9 million of gross revenue related to hotels. In L.A., there, you know, she did six shows in L.A., and there's an estimated $320 million boost to the local economy. So these are big numbers, and I think local governments, you know, really, and some of these cities, um, you know, they really do appreciate this because it is way bigger than a lot of the other activities that they have going on that generate revenue for them. And I think you see them showing their appreciation by, you know, renaming streets and, you know, claiming, you know, giving Taylor, you know, there's, um, I can't remember what city it was, but there was a city that gave, you know, made Taylor mayor for a day. (laughs) I'm sure she needs that responsibility even just for a day. I have to say when you kind of, um, uh, laughed a little at my question of how does it compare to normal city revenues. The laugh was in and of itself the perfect answer, right? Because we're not even talking <laughs> right. about things on a similar scale here. That's right. So um, what kinds of things, we, we talked about hotel and foods, but what are the other things that, uh, for both these women's concerts, that people are just willing to to spend money on that you know of? Yeah. Um, so, so I'll say, uh, so a couple of things, I'll say, I'll say merchandise and clothing, um, you know, so... Beyonce, you know, who's a Virgo, um, you know, has everybody showing up to her concerts all shiny. And so, you know, you've got these it's Etsy stores and, um, you know, local stores that are uh, trying to, you know, that have anything silver are like selling out of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, you've got the Taylor Swift um, friendship bracelets. And so there was a story about um, Michael's craft stores in L.A., like running out of beads um, you know, so so people aren't just going to these concerts to sit down and hear the music and have that experience. They want to live the experience. Yeah. And part of that living it is, you know, dressing up for it, getting in the mood and, and you know, not only individually, but like with your friends and family. And so it's a whole ripple effect in so many levels of our lives. Yeah. So it's not just, you know, buying an album and a T-shirt and a poster and smacking the poster on your wall when you go home. It's about um, spending money that makes you feel as a, a bigger part of the, the community event, right, that these concerts yeah. are. Now, your book, uh, we've got about a minute to go before our break, Misty, but your yeah. book uh, is focused on the idea of economic power of women today. And obviously, <laughs> Taylor Swift and Beyonce are people's exhibit <laughs> A. Yeah. But just give me a, a quick description of why you think these two women in particular, what are they touching on that is making them translating into so much economic power? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think what they're touching on is their own authenticity, And, you know, it's that authenticity combined with um, acknowledging, you know, they they exist in very misogynistic, in a very misogynistic industry. And yet somehow they've been able to rewrite the rules. And I think part of that is, is due to their, them being in touch with themselves and their own authenticity. And then also um, knowing and understanding that they have a fan base who has a similar level of experiences and authenticity 
and then building that, building and establishing that relationship. And I think that has just given them so much power and it's allowed them to, um, you know, have experiences within their own industry that really push them through the roof and and help them excel Mm. in ways that others haven't been able to in the past. There's a lot more to uh, explore within that. Misty Haganis is with us today. She's associate professor in the School of Public Affairs and Administration at the University of Kansas. We're talking about the power of Taylor Swift and Beyonce. This is On Point. Support for the On Point podcast comes from Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com onpoint. That's Indeed.com onpoint. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Support for On Point comes from BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in the day, how would you use it? BetterHelp Online Therapy can help you figure out what's most important to you so you can prioritize it. Learn to make time for what makes you happy. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com OnPoint today to get 10% off your first month. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, and today we're talking about the economic power of Taylor Swift and Beyonce and how these two women combined in their fabulously successful concert tours have generated more than $10 billion so far in uh, increased sales and uh, and, and uh, hotel stays in local economies around the United States. Uh, you heard our guest M- Misty Haganis a little earlier saying Beyonce is uh, credited with having uh, caused a little bit of inflation in the entire country of Sweden. Taylor Swift, the Philadelphia Fed, actually credits Taylor Swift with somewhat with saving the hotel industry there. But even with all that evidence, if you still don't believe that these two women, and specifically Taylor Swift, transformed local businesses on her concert tour. All right, fine, it's okay. You can you can not be a believer, but just listen to this. Taylor saved my business this year. My name is Abby Eilerman. I own Daily Disco. We do custom chain stitch embroidery, and we specialize in denim jackets. I made this to wear myself to the Eras Tour concert. It is a 20-inch portrait of Taylor's face. And then it says the Eras Tour. But then I added glitter felt because I like I wanted to embrace the swiftiness of it all. I went to Vegas night two and then Kansas City night two. I don't think I saw any jackets because I would have like freaked out. But knowing that there were so many other ones I made in the stadium is it's so cool. 212 was the number from this year alone for Taylor Swift. Once the Eras Tour concert started, I feel like it really like took momentum. The jacket is like this cool way when you're just like out in the world to find those other people. I am a longtime Swifty. When she was 15 and I was 13, I think, um, she did like a free show in St. Charles, Missouri, which if you're from St. Louis, that's like way out there. 
I started this business about eight years ago. Our jackets run from 200 all the way up to some like of the really detailed ones can get up to like 2000. That's like a big chunk of our business because it's these custom projects. Most of them average around 700. It is like, I feel like talking to other small businesses, it's a hard year. It's been a lull. The tailor jackets have like taken us through 2023. It's been amazing. And I like between Barbie, Beyonce and Taylor, like those have been huge for my business this year. It just feels like something to celebrate that two women have like completely like saved our economies and like saved my own individual like finances. So insane. That's Abby Eilerman, owner of the online chain stitch embroidery shop Daily Disco. She's in St. Louis, Missouri. And as I mentioned, Misty Heganis is with us today. She's an associate professor at the University of Kansas and author of the forthcoming Swiftynomics, Women in Today's Economy. Uh, you'll have to wait still a couple of years for that. <laughs> it's out in 2025. Uh, but Misty, I, I also want to dig a little deeper into some of the underlying factors uh, that, you know, Taylor Swift and Beyonce, who are both incredibly savvy businesswomen, that they, they picked up on. Uh, and first, kind of a practical one. Are we still feeling the uh, the lingering effects of uh, all that time during COVID and lockdowns where people weren't able to have collective experiences like this? I know it's been a little while, but is that part of what's drawing so many people to you know work so hard, pay so much money, go to such extents to get to these concerts? Yeah, um, you know, I think there's a lot of, of truth to that. I think... Um, People, you know, became very exhausted from pandemic life. And, um, you know, people, there was a Bloomberg article that came out maybe about a year ago talking about Taylor Swift and just this, you know, the, the turbocharged consumer and, um, you know, the experience economy where you're really focused on, you know, you're willing to spend money to have an experience. And, and I do think that there's a lot of truth to that, that part of the, the reason why these concerts and these tours have been so successful is because people really missed that during the pandemic. And they missed that when we were all, you know, shut inside our homes, um, staring at our four walls and our, our family's faces. People really missed getting out and having these shared communal experiences and 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 the joy that comes along with that. And I think, you know, that's part of the reason why these concerts have been so successful. And then there's another reason um, that, that you write about, and that's, you kind of touched on it before, but there's another pent-up need, especially uh, within, you know, communities of, of color, women, all those places where those overlap, there's another sort yeah. of more core emotional or even spiritual need. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, so, you know, I'm an economist by training and, um, you know, a lot of the work that I do focuses on thinking about how people use limited resources to mm -hmm. kind of maximize, you know, their happiness and maximize their, their preferences. And I think one of the things that, um, you know, is going on right now is that we've got some some really talented folks who have been able to tell, you know, authentic stories from their own lived experiences or the lived experiences of their family members. You know, Beyonce's Renaissance tour and, and album is, is about, um, you know, her uncle Johnny. And, and I think that, um, you know, the fact that they're able to push through 
um, this really traditional, you know, um, cisgen male, you know, um, you know, stereotypical Hollywood entertainment bubble and get these other lived, you know, true experiences and stories out in the world has so much meaning for people who share those experiences and don't often see it in in, in the general media. Mm, and, and, and it's particularly important, yeah, that these are stories told by women. Just, yeah. to, just to put a fine point on it. 100%. I mean, what, you know, I, so I, you know, I consider myself a Swifty, but I didn't, you know, I, I'm, I'm not of her generation. And so I didn't start, you know, I'm not, I was never familiar with her earlier music, but where she really caught me was the first time I listened to The Man. And then I saw the video and I was just like, oh my God, you know, this is an experience that I continually have in my professional life. And she's just so eloquent about it and just nails like, you know, um, the struggle. And, and, and I think, you know, women in particular appreciate that. They appreciate hearing um, things that we oftentimes internalize and, you know, that might bring us shame or that we think we're the only ones, all of a sudden somebody is speaking about that experience and making it normative and making it, you know, it's no longer about, it's no longer my fault or it's no longer about me or something I did. This is a structural issue. And other women are also experiencing these structural issues. Mm. And, and there's a lot of power in that. Well, uh, we have a little clip from an on-point listener who shared a story with us about how much the connections uh, that people are able to make with Beyonce and in her case specifically Taylor Swift's music matters personally to them. It can change lives according to people that we've heard of. So this is Lindsay Hurd. She's from Kennebunk, Maine, and she and her 20-year-old daughter saw the Eras tour when it stopped in Foxborough, Massachusetts. And it was a very, very important experience for both of them. Uh, Lindsay says she was determined to get tickets because um, uh, her daughter's father died in 2020, and it was Taylor Swift's music that helped her daughter through that process. She couldn't go to therapy because the world was in lockdown, and Taylor's music was transformative. It was survival. It was everything to help her ease her pain. And then Taylor surprisingly dropped Folklore and then Evermore. And those two albums are so therapeutic and the songwriting is so beautiful. And I think they saved my daughter. I think Taylor's music quite literally helped my daughter process her grief. That's Lindsay Hurd in Kennebunk, Maine. Well, I'd like to bring Shar Giselle into the conversation now. She's joining us from Los Angeles. She's a journalist and focuses on arts and entertainment reporting, specifically at the intersections of gender, politics, race, and pop culture. Shar, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Magna. You know, I would argue that uh, it was Beyonce who really set the standard for audience connection and creating a, a culture of not just fandom, but uh, real love around uh, around an artist, even before Taylor Swift did. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, sort of how you see Beyonce in her own way, having um, been a force in this in this new uh, relationship between artist and fan? 
Well, you know, with Beyonce, you know, her her career spans three decades. Yeah. And I think that she's done a masterful job at at reinventing each project. Well, reinventing herself rather with each project that that she releases. And by doing so, she's acquired a even larger fan base with each release oh, yeah. because people are finding some type of thread or some type of connection that makes them gravitate towards the force that is Beyonce. Oh, 100%. I watched the 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 visual album of Lemonade five times, but I think I watched mm-hmm. Homecoming like 20 times. And I was, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Every time I watched it, I was just jaw-droppingly uh, inspired and amazed and just pulled into the screen by the power and uh, and excellence of, of that woman. But anyway, go ahead, Shara, continue. Yeah, so I think that spanning back to even her early days with Destiny's Child and and the hits that they pumped out leading up to Dangerously in Love and B-Day and Sasha Fierce and as you mentioned and so on and so on with Homecoming and and Lemonade, each era for Beyonce has grown even bigger and by doing so, she has drawn more people to her. Like she she to me covers so many different bases with her artistry and also just with her image and how far she's willing to go. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd love to know more from from both of you about this creation. I don't want to call it a culture of fandom because it seems like something more than that. So, so Char, um, in, in the case of Beyonce, what do you think she is providing to the people who will go to you know any extent possible to get to one of her concerts? What's she providing for them? I think that she does a great job at providing a safe space. And I don't say that in like a cheesy way. Mm -hmm. I think that (laughs) I think that especially in recent years, uh, particularly for black women and for black people in the LGBTQ plus community, she has provided a bubble of security, a bubble of of reassurance And her music has kind of been a roadmap in standing in and reclaiming your own power. And so with doing that, I think that that has made people just relate to her and gravitate towards her even more, especially with this Renaissance era. And so, like I mentioned, Beyonce does a masterful job in in being relatable even though she feels unattainable and unrelatable in a lot of different aspects. <laughs> no kidding. There's still, there's still a through line there. There's still a through line there. And I think that that's what puts a battery, you know, in people's backs to, to travel and support. Like I even went to London to see Renaissance last May. And then I saw it again in Los Angeles uh, back in September. So I, I think that there's, like I said, a through line of like inspiration and seeing her work ethic and and how she's able to to call the shots that really helps people, even if they're living vicariously, it helps people see themselves. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Misty, I'm going to come back to you uh, in a second. But Char, just to explore how Beyonce does this, but a little differently in terms of you know, creating that space for fans. Because I've always um, uh, understood Beyonce to be actually sort of more... like. I, I, Unattainable is one way to put it, but also, I don't want to say closed, but more um, 
she's not as open about her her private life unless she wants to be and feels like she has to be, right? It seems like a little mm-hmm. bit different, and you can totally correct me if I'm wrong, but a, but different from how, you know, Taylor Swift is just like, here's my whole life. I'm going to tell you about it on Instagram. I'm going to tell you about it in my songs, um, this, that, and the other. Do, do you think that in terms of how they, they generate those spaces for their fans, that it they're, they're doing it differently or not? Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, when you really zoom out, they have two totally different personal lives, yeah. right? Beyonce has been with Jay-Z since she was 19 and then been married since she was like 28 and she's now 42. And then we've seen Taylor on the other hand. Taylor's had, we've been on Taylor's dating journey with her, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so with respect to that, it makes it a bit more easier for Beyonce to control her own narrative. And, and you know, with Jay-Z, her husband, also being a musician, mm-hmm. I believe that's how they were able to do that whole trifecta of like Lemonade, 444. And then, you know, Beyonce and Jay-Z did a joint album in summer 2018 titled Everything is Love. And so I think that that totally leans into with like the wife and the mother of Beyonce with her uh, controlling her own narrative and only telling us what she wants us to know. And and, and it, versus like how Taylor Swift's story has unfolded. Like we've been there with Taylor. Like I feel like I have lunch with Taylor Swift <laughs> when it comes to her romantic history, <laughs> because it's like, you know, we know the tea through Taylor's music and her songwriting. So, uh, yeah, that's the difference. Yeah. Well, uh, Misty, I actually, it, it, even though they're doing things quite differently, what I see is a v- one very strong commonality beyond their, their mastery of, uh, music and the business of music. And that is, um, I'm obviously of the generation that grew up with with Beyonce, like Char, uh, and not necessarily of the generation that is growing up with Taylor Swift. But the growing up with part is so critical because both these women, by, by selectively willing to share uh, their own life experiences, uh, as you said earlier with Taylor, that's one of the things that sort of keeps their fans coming along with them on the journey, as, as Char mentioned. Yeah. um, And I want to come back to something that Shar said earlier about Beyonce, which was just, you know, Beyonce's ability to reinvent herself and, you know, to um, tell her story in a new way and through a new light. And and, um, this idea of reinvention, I think, is so it's critical to the human experience, but it is particularly essential for women, Mm. Um, you know, and that just has to do with the dynamics of the society we live in. So, um, you know, happy to talk more about that on the other side of the break. But, Definitely. Um, so Misty Hagenis and Shar Josel stand by for just a minute. There's a lot more when we come back. This is On Point. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future. Five consecutive episodes right here. So make sure you're following this podcast. You're back with On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And today, Misty Hegenis joins us, as does Shar Jussel. And they're helping us understand not just the cultural, but the economic 
mega power of both Beyonce and Taylor Swift and the fact that I'm going to it bears repeating that these two women and their tours have generated 10 billion dollars of surrounding economic activity in cities that their tours have visited. Yeah, um so I was just talking about this idea of reinvention and mm-hmm. the criticalness of understanding reinvention as women and and especially the lives of women outside of their homes and in their careers. Um, it is it is very common that um, for everybody, but in particular for women, that we often have to figure out ways to reinvent ourselves in order to move ourselves forward and in order to move ourselves up upward in a in a in a career path. And you know, Beyonce um, has done this. Taylor Swift has done this. Madonna has done this with her artistry. Dolly Parton has done this with her artistry. And so there's just a lot of women in the music industry who um, demonstrate kind of this critical path forward, which is nonlinear and has everything to do with, you know, reinventing who you are and what you want to be in this particular instance and where you want to go. Mm. Shar, I I wonder what you think about that, because I I can also think of a potential downside to women being these masters of reinvention. Could that also mm-hmm. be the music industry telling them they just can't be who they want for for their the entirety of, of their career? I mean, a lot of men and male bands in particular, they just are who they are for like 50 years. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a function of, of a little bit of the music industry telling them and society telling them, but also a function of a little bit of boredom. Mm. Right. I think that women also have a a bit more playground to play with when it comes to reinventing themselves and switching up sounds and looks. When I think about things like even hair and makeup, right, when you when you get down to like the logistics and the the real gristle of it, women have a bit more rope to jump mm. with when it comes to to playing around with image and and with sound, really. And so I think that that in the name of creativity, it's a little bit of both. It's a little bit of like wanting to switch things up naturally um, and and also a, a bit of a societal pressure to stay relevant. Okay. <laughs> can, can we just – I want to come back to the actual experience, like physical and emotional experience of being at either a, a Renaissance concert or an Eras Tour concert. Um, Shar, you said you'd been to at least two Renaissance Tour concerts. Yes. Okay. Yes, and, yes. And and just tell me, like, what is that experience like? So I, I do want to start by saying I am going to catch Taylor's tour on streaming. I hate <laughs> that I didn't get a chance to go. Um, but, but Renaissance was great. I've been going to, actually, Beyonce was my very first concert back in 2001. It was Destiny's Child. And so I've been going to go see Destiny's Child and Beyonce for decades now at this point. Um but it was it was really a religious experience as a fan, and I thought it fa- I thought it was fascinating how the tour overseas was totally different than the tour stateside. I mean, it's the same set list, but there was just a different energy and a different feel. And I know that you know in Beyonce's movie that she just released her film, she addresses you know like she had to have knee surgery and all these things that we as fans and we as the public did not know. And so I think maybe that played a factor into it being two different shows with two different energy levels. And the crowds were different. Mm. And so uh, walking into it, I did not know what to expect because I'm not someone who does the whole spoilers thing. Yeah. So I'm like dipping and dodging, <laughs> you know, on social media. 
And I thought that it was, you know, it, it was a great experience. But, you know, Los Angeles, I went to her birthday show in Los Angeles, Ugh. I should mention. Um, it just was on a different level. And so... How? Uh, how? It, I mean, did you, really... did, did you wear silver for that one? Oh, of course. Are you kidding me? <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Beyonce said we got... She's the house... The mother of the house of Chrome, darling. So we had to. You <laughs> Forgive know, me. I... Yes, I was in the streets, in these L.A. streets, you know, swerving, trying to find silver. And so I did wear silver uh, because that's what she asked for Virgo season. And it just was a different energy. Like, I felt exhausted. I was telling friends that I felt more exhausted after the birthday show than I did with the jet lag that came from flying to London from oh. London to back to Los Angeles. Oh. I was more exhausted. And so uh, it was a great experience. And I think that I just get joy from seeing other people. Like yeah. the crowd is also part of the show. And, you know, it's it's fun to watch people's reactions and and seeing people who are experiencing her for the first time and things like that. Because like I said, the work ethic, the vocals, the the choreography, like she is just on another level. Yeah. So let me and just jump, so, let me just jump uh, in here yeah. if I could. I'm sorry, Shar, but you've said two no, two ahead. words which I think are at the heart of um again the the fandom, the culture of fandom around these two women and that and how that helps translate directly into their economic impact. You said it was like a, a religious religious experience because I hear mm-hmm. in the tape that we played earlier of uh, from fans from both shows, you hear in their voices a kind of ecstasy, right? And then you said joy as well. And Misty, I want you to just sort of uh, springboard off that because I feel like uh, there are not enough large-scale outlets for people anymore as many Americans um, maybe step back from organized religion or you know, our in-person social networks were fractured by COVID. There aren't that many places anymore to go and have that just experience of pure community joy. Just like Shar said, she also just felt amazing watching other people having the ex- experience with her. I mean, is that part of the picture here, Misty? Yeah, I, I think it's totally part of the picture. I mean, when you think about how people, you know, we all, time is limited, you know, you can't, nobody's going to gift you more than 24 hours in a day. And so with that time, you have to make decisions about what you want to do. And, um, you know, a lot of us are always looking for joy and, you know, giggles and to really enjoy the people around us. And, um, you know, and we're willing to pay for it. I think that at at the end of the day, that's that's the bottom line is that we're willing to pay for it. And you know, you know, I, you know, I, I went to the Taylor Swift tour. I sat in an online queue for eight hours. You know, I was part of that Ticketmaster snafu. Debacle, um, catastrophe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, let's call it what it is. Yeah. You know, my daughter and I, we got to the stadium at like 2 p.m. the minute the doors opened because we wanted to stand in line for the merch, you know, and it was all we stood in line for probably two hours. And it was part of you were standing in line with a whole bunch of other folks, you know, like changing, exchanging, you know, friendship bracelets. And it's the whole experience. And and we live in such a divided society right now Uh that having, and I think people miss, people are exhausted from the division and they miss like exactly what you're saying, these communal experiences and opportunities. And, and that's what, you know, Beyonce and Taylor Swift are giving us right now. And we are just, you know, 
drinking it up. Like, we can't get enough of it. <laughs> well, Misty, you mentioned the merch, and Shar, you admitted that you cased all of Los Angeles to find that that silver. There's also food, because sales jumped at local food businesses wherever Beyonce and Taylor Swift came to town. Well, we reached out to a Swifty who's also a businesswoman. Her name's Abby Meyer. She's the marketing director at the Kansas City-based Donutology. I was pretty confident in it. Our owner, not as dialed in with Swifty culture as I am, you know, there was maybe some hesitancy of, like, will this resonate with customers? And uh, sure enough, it did. We developed a 30-pack of Eras Tour Donuts, which included five different flavors that were inspired by her lyrics and song titles. Um, Lavender Glaze, after the Lavender Haze song. We Want Your Midnights with Purple Icing and Fondant Stars. Caramel is a Cat. We had a Caramel Bismarck that was shaped as a cat. We ended up making over 20,000 donuts that weekend. We had somebody working at the fryer the entire day, just pushing out many donuts. Our 30 packs were $36.99. We had individual donuts sold as well. The 20,000 was was pretty <laughs> pretty unbelievable just because it was more than we've ever made. So about uh, you know what we could make in two, three, four weeks of being open as a business, just on a typical calendar month. It was really cool to talk to people from everywhere from Florida to DC to Japan. This fan base is such that, you know, they're gonna, they love anything Taylor themed. And so there were fans that were getting like our donuts and then they would go to the cookie shop and get Taylor Swift cookies. And then they would go to the cake shop and get Taylor Swift cakes. And because it added to their experience and it added to their weekend. And so just to be a part of that was super special for us. It's just been cool to be along for the ride. It's Abby Meyer, marketing director at Donutology, a donut shop in Kansas City. She's talking about how they made more than 20,000 Taylor Swift-themed donuts and sold them all. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point. Now, Shar, here, and Misty, but I'll start with you, Shar. Here's the big question. Um... I guess one of them, regarding these two women, can their success be replicated? Are there things that they're doing as um, uh, not just musicians, but again, as the masters of the music business in terms of audience cultivation, culture building amongst fans, even venue selection, that other musicians could learn from or even emulate? Or they just kind of like too unique people who are one-offs in American culture. I'd venture to say that in today's world, that there are two Mm one-offs. I think that people can study their moves, but I don't think that, I I don't really foresee us getting, you know, titans like Taylor and Beyonce. When I say titans, I mean, you know, women who sell out stadiums, right? Right. I'm not talking arenas or the House of Blues or whatever. (laughs) I'm talking stadiums. Um, I I don't really see that. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I'm not seeing that type of impact coming anytime soon. And so I think that because they both put in the work and 
And not to say, because there's tons of people who also put in the work, but as you mentioned, Magna, they're masters of the business. I think that aspects of it can be studied, but I don't really foresee it being replicated um, because they all they they have their individual, you know, sauce to them. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's mm. my answer. Misty, what do you think? Um, I, I agree with Char, um, but I'll just talk about the flip side of the coin, which is, you know, to say that perhaps it can be replicated under a scenario in which, um, you know, again, I think what these two women have really brought to all of us is their authenticity and their willingness not only to listen to their own voice and let that lead them, but also to figure out how their own personalized voice connects with others in society and in community. And I, and, and I think, you know, that I think that is part of the special sauce. I think oftentimes, you know, we in our own, you know, life ventures get, you know, veered astray or, um, you know, I don't think it's very common to have an experience like Taylor Swift, where like you have something you love, you're actually talented at it. And, you know, you can iterate that, you know, over your life lifetime like that. That's rare. Um, you know, but but I do think that there are others who can do it. It's just figuring that out for yourself and mm. figuring out where your communities lie and then investing in them. You know, Taylor's done a, so much to invest in her fans. And that's one of the reasons why she's so popular. Yeah. You know, I would agree with the authenticity um, piece of it. But I'm also sort of hearing the voice of maybe a lot of independent musicians who say, well, all I do is music that's authentic to me and communities (laughs) that I come from. But I'm not getting that, you know, bounce into the stratosphere or even the low altitude bounce. So, I mean, look, we're going to just acknowledge that the individual talent of Beyonce and Taylor Swift, that's going to be nearly impossible to replicate. So it's not about that. But I'm I'm wondering, and and Cheryl, I'll turn back to you on this one. um, It's that... that, uh, smarts in the music business as it stands now. Like, Beyonce says what she wants to say, right? She doesn't say what people want her to say all the time. So she's very intelligent and selective about about that. That's one, I think that's one of her greatest strengths. And then the evolution that you talked about. And Taylor Swift, you know, she's like dropping little Easter eggs all over the place on social media all the time. And even like in Time Magazine interviews, I know people are going to comb through that person of the year interview and like look for all the Easter eggs. I mean, that's a kind of strategic thinking, which I think they're also showing like just unparalleled expertise at. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to agree. And and this is someone who watched Taylor's documentary that came out on on the streaming platform a few years ago. I think that they both also have great teams around them uh-huh. who who do their jobs and are invested and kind of keep their finger to the pulse of of culture and what people are doing and saying. But I also think that both of these women have a tremendous amount of agency in their own lives and careers. And and there is a business savvy there, you know, and they do a good job of 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 making things seem organic, even if they are being strategic, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I would just also add, I agree with all of that, but I would say, you know, there's a... Um, there's a strategy around it, um, and there's a smarts around it, which we've already mentioned. But I really want us to recognize the bravery. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because uh, both of these women have been so brave in and bold in pushing back against a system that is telling them that they should be doing something else or behaving or feeling in a different way. And 
I just am really proud of their bravery, and I don't want that to sound cheesy, but I just, when I think about the implications and the ripple effects that has for, you know, women and individuals across the country, it's just profound. Well, I think that's also one of the reasons why their fans are so, so connected to them. Perfect note to end on, actually. Misty Haganis, associate professor at the University of Kansas, her forthcoming book is Swiftynomics, Women in Today's Economy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And Shar Shar Jocelle, journalist and writer who focuses on the intersections of gender, politics, race, and pop culture. Such a pleasure to have you, Shar. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's fun. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. This is On Point.